I'm Jeremy Lair, and welcome to The Money Movement, a show where we explore the issues and ideas in this brave new world of digital currency and blockchains. So 2020 was an enormous year in crypto, uh, and it was obviously incredible growth across the board in, in crypto assets on the whole. But I think you know, a defining theme that drove so much of both the innovation and economic opportunity in the space was driven by DeFi. And in particular, you know, what sort of sparked a lot of this was the rapid growth in compound protocol and the launch of the comp governance token, which sparked, you know, kind of enormous growth in the entire category of decentralized protocols for financial market infrastructure. So I think a year ago, I, I took a look and there was about $800 million in value locked in DeFi smart contracts. And today that's mushroomed to around 23 billion, give or take. Uh, but this is obviously just the start of a mega trend that will eventually upend, I think, multi-trillion dollar capital markets. So uh, previously had uh, Robert Leshner on the show and we talked about you know, DeFi. Uh, we talked about the sort of concepts of programmable money and what people can do with, with stable coins and smart contracts. Um, recently, there was a, a really cool editorial from uh, former OCC interim head, Brian Brooks, who talked about this idea of self-driving banks. And I, I really liked it. So part of the title this week is sort of DeFi and self-driving banks, but this sort of concept here is like self-driving cars where automotive uh, machines uh, are, are, are sort of governed and operated entirely in software and how that poses new challenges for how people think about risk, uh, how people think about rules, how, how people think about a lot of things. Um, DeFi in many ways really is this kind of similar thing, but in what banks do, self-driving banks. So fundamental building blocks of, of finance uh, are governed and operated entirely by machines and software on the internet, which is super exciting. So joining us this week is repeat guest, Compound founder and CEO, uh, Robert Leshner. We're going to explore this mega trend, uh, what 2021 will bring in DeFi. And then I think a long-term view, I want to talk a little bit about um, the sort of transformation of capital markets that's on our doorstep, doorstep as we explore this. Uh, welcome back, Robert. Thanks, Jeremy. Great to be here. Awesome. So, um, yeah, maybe we can just start, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you're sick of this, uh, but just, you know, uh, talk about the last year for Compound. It's just been incredible, but maybe give it, just give it a, a couple minutes on, on, on what's happened. It's, uh, it's, it's staggering and, and super impressive. So congrats as well. Thank you. So Compound is a protocol for users to earn an interest rate on crypto assets and borrow crypto assets uh, against them. Most popularly, users are using uh, crypto collateral to borrow stable coins. And the system has been running for a couple of years. But in 2020, what we did is we transitioned Compound from being a series of smart contracts that um, are overseen by humans um, and 
centralized humans at that, uh, our company being the ones responsible to oversee the protocol, to transitioning the protocol to decentralized community governance. So allowing the entire crypto community at large uh, the opportunity to upgrade um, the computer code that runs Compound and to be able to collaboratively set the different parameters of the markets. Um, so Compound is now running as a decentralized uh, protocol on a blockchain. It's a financial market that you know doesn't need any one um, person in order to run it. It can run independent of um, the original team and it can ideally run for the next century. Um, it's autonomous and these markets will hopefully operate forever. So unlike um, self-driving cars that maybe need to go to a charging station, this, 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 this sort of is, as long as like the internet's running and, and uh, I guess, you know, people are validating blocks, uh, you know, on these compute engines, like it, it will just, it will just run as a self-driving bank. Yeah. The best way to sort of explain it is, you know, this started off as, you know, a mostly autonomous vehicle, right? Where it, you know, there, there was a driver, you know, behind the wheel just in case something went wrong. Um, and that was, you know, Compound Labs, the team that built it. Nothing ever really went wrong. It didn't require too much touching of the steering wheel. And we've replaced the human driver with internet hive mind. Uh, no so dead people in Phoenix yet. Not yet, you know? <laughs> so, you know, now there's, you know, essentially a self-driving vehicle and when, you know, the steering wheel needs to be touched, there's, you know, an internet, you know, uh, collective. And so, you know, with this structure, you know, it, it is essentially autonomous. Um, and all of the logic of how the markets work and how um, balances function, it's all computed, you know, using these computer programs. So there's a lot going on there. Um, and I think to the uninitiated, it's sort of like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, the, what, what, what do you mean? I mean, I, the, the, there's a lot I want to explore here. And, and, and maybe, um, you know, maybe first actually is, is you know, the, the sort of functions that a bank might provide, traditional intermediation um, in, in borrowing and lending, as an example. Um, you know, just talk through a little bit of, you know, uh, they're sort of where Compound is today, but, you know, what are all of the different dimensions of, of intermediation that you think can be self-driving, that can be entirely machine operated and governed um, in this space? And obviously we see a lot of building blocks, composability, et cetera, et cetera, that, that's out there today. But when you think about the primitives that, that you're, you're working on um, and kind of compare that against interest rate markets or other things, like how do you see that? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, Fundamentally, Compound allows you know, two different counterparties to participate in a financial market. One side is earning an interest rate and the other is using collateral to borrow assets and paying an interest rate. And there's so many functions that would exist in a sort of traditional bank just to create this right. economic function. You would have you know, people you know, building systems to accept funds from one group of users, right? This is like the liability side of sure. it where you know, you're building- and payment systems that go into that and so on, you, you just ride on stable coins and crypto assets, yeah. Exactly, like you, there was, there'd be so many pieces of work in order just to accept funds from users. And with Compound, you know, it's purely crypto there. Um, and all of the rules for the transfer and settlement of cryptographic assets are defined you know, uh, on a blockchain. And that part is completely you know, abstracted away. 
and there's no humans necessary related for that. Users administer their own transfer of funds and the settlement of that. Um, the record keeping for that is also, you know, autonomous and stripped away. The entire history of transactions is transparent and accessible on the blockchain. You know, you don't need, you know, all sorts of like bookkeepers to reconcile it. Like, yeah, always reconciled basically in real time as users submit transactions. Anyone can audit or inspect the state of the records and can see, you know, how we got to the current books. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, completely abstracted away. Then you have, you know, the calculation of, you know, balances and like if users are earning an interest rate, you know, traditionally you would also have entire systems of record. You have, you would have entire banking, you know, databases and, you know, software packages for that economic behavior. With a system like Compound, it's all encapsulated just in, you know, very simple, you know, code running on a blockchain. And there's no humans necessary. When it comes to the other side, um, which is people borrowing assets, this is where you would have huge quantities of, you know, operations, systems, and people involved in a traditional organization. You would have the evaluation of collateral. You would have the communication with customers. You would have the transfer of collateral and the transfer of, you know, borrowed funds. You would have, you know, nonstop reconciliation. You would have, you know, massive, you know, systems, let alone when, you know, market conditions change and, you know, the, you know, the value of the collateral changes. In a system, you know, running on a blockchain like Compound, all of that is replaced with smart contracts where, you know, it basically strips away all of the steps that would fail uh, if the humans mess up or if the software messes up or if, you know, people don't show up to work one day. And all of these systems of analyzing collateral, you know, monitoring the market risk of them, you know, enforcing liquidity requirements and risk requirements, all of that that would take teams of humans right. is replaced with a computer program. We call them smart contracts, right. um, but a computer program running on a blockchain that anyone can inspect, you know, everyone can see the rules of the program, how it operates, that it's operating, that it's working correctly. Right. And um, can see that, you know, instead of needing scores of people and databases and records and spreadsheets, you know, it can all be done with a computer program. It's obviously super exciting. I, I you know, I, there's, there's, um, you know, if you, if you look at uh, traditional banks, right, there's some fundamental differences. You've outlined a lot of those that have to do with human intermediation and, and sort of this and, and how the counterparties themselves, the kind of experience that they're going to have. I think, um, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is, you know, the effectively risk management, you know, is such a huge part of what a bank does. And, and bank examiners, if you like go get the OCC bank examiner's manual and you look at, you know, you know, what that's about, like an enormous amount of it is like, un, you know, capital, liquidity, risk management, underwriting, like all this sort of stuff, like these, these incredible amounts of, of things there. And, and so, you know, in this world, one obviously major difference is, you know, this is all, you know, it's all managed in software, right? Um, and so if I were a bank examiner in the quote unquote self-driving bank world, like I'm gonna basically be examining the smart contracts and examining how effective they are. And, and they're, they're kind of incontrovertible, right? By definition. Um, and, and it seems like another major difference here is uh, Compound can't create money. 
um, you know, it, it just, it, it, it does not have the ability to create money. Banks do create money. They say, I have this collateral, I have this assets and I'm going to create commercial deposits with it. I'm going to basically create money. Uh, and, and so crypto obviously is a sort of full reserve system. Um, do you think that that, that particular dimension, credit, cre kind of credit creation, um, how do you think about that uh, relative to way, the way that these sort of nascent capital markets exist in crypto? Is there, is there an equivalency there somewhere um, uh, that can take place? What does that look like? It's a great question. So, you know, traditionally banks, you know, um, in effect, you know, increase the money supply by lending out money, which then becomes a deposit in another bank or their own bank. Um, there are similar principles, even with crypto assets, where there's a finite supply. So take Bitcoin as an example. Everyone knows that there's going to be 21 million Bitcoin. But, you know, Bitcoin also can be moved onto other blockchains and tokenized in new ways. So a great example of this is an asset called Wrapped Bitcoin. So the custodian BitGo holds a bunch of Bitcoin. I think it's like 110,000 Bitcoin. It's a lot at this point. And they issue a token on the Ethereum blockchain called wrapped Bitcoin so that users on Ethereum can send Bitcoin, interact with DeFi protocols like Compound, you know, add programmable logic to Bitcoin on Ethereum. And in effect, you know, you can see the ledger of Bitcoin, if there's only ever going to be 21 million, you can see the location of all of those Bitcoin. But 110,000 of them are held in BitGo and they've issued a token on Ethereum against it. And they, in effect, you know, you could say have increased the total quantity of Bitcoin with this transformation. Although, you know, the original 110,000 are just- It's model. It's always there. Yeah. It's, it's always there and they're not moving. And if it were to move, you know, everyone would, you know, yeah. scream bloody murder. Air on fire. More. Air yeah, yeah, yeah. They basically, in effect, said there's still the same 21 million Bitcoin, but they're usable on Ethereum. Yeah. And on Ethereum, in effect, you know, through a system like Compound, you know, the number of people who believe that, you know, they hold Bitcoin can also increase. You know, a user might borrow wrapped Bitcoin, you know, from a system like Compound. And that user has wrapped Bitcoin and somebody else yeah. you know, has supplied it and believes, you know, yeah. and does own the claim to that red Bitcoin. And so through, you know, decentralized finance, you know, you can see, you know, how an asset can spread throughout an ecosystem. There is in effect a little bit of this, you know, multiplicative effect uh, on assets, but that's through finance in general. If I were to, you know, lend Jeremy, you know, my car, I would say I own one car and Jeremy would have a car, right? Even if later he's going to give yeah. return my car to me. You know, yeah. after the weekend road trip. There's like a, you know, obviously like a, uh, there's, there's a lot of dimensions to this and, and I'm, I'm really curious about how you think about, and I'll, I'll come back later to a little bit to kind of tokenization of assets more broadly and how that flows to DeFi. And we're already starting to see that and, and we'll see a lot more of it, but, but very specifically, you, you know, compound protocol today, right. It's, it's, it's secured lines of credit, you know, essentially, right. It's entirely secured. It's over collateralized. Um, it, and so it's, it's safer, right? So we have a, a lot more comfort in terms of the risk management that goes along with that. And, and so I think the, the sort of value at risk uh, models are, 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 uh, are, are safer just, um, but do you see a world uh, of unsecured lending uh, in the crypto, in, in DeFi specifically, 
it, it's almost concept it's conceptually you know uh challenging but 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 essentially you know people showing up and basically saying i'm gonna i'll give you some usdc or i'll give you some rep btc uh, and you're not giving me anything um and i guess the the overlay question on that is and i want to come back to this from a regulatory perspective too but um you know identity reputation how do you think about identity and reputation emerging and interacting with DeFi protocols because that really seems like the only way it gets us to unsecured lending so that's a great question there's a lot there so i'll start by going back to this sort of you know concept of autonomous banking so the reason why a system like compound works um, is because it's replacing you know what otherwise is a relatively simple you know banking function with code so it's using fungible liquid assets as collateral to borrow against fungible assets are ones in which they all look and feel the same you know there's no nuance between one wrapped bitcoin and another wrapped bitcoin or one ether and another ether they're the exact same unlike two houses where each house is fundamentally different or two borrowers that are fundamentally different compound relies on fungible collateral that's liquid and so it's very easy to build a system that knows how to value that collateral and allow for the liquidation of that collateral. So it's very easy to build a system like Compound that requires excess collateral and sure. liquid fungible collateral to borrow against. It, sure. it's able to build a computer program that can administer this safely. Um, it's why the very first DeFi applications are probably the simplest and the safest and probably perceived as the most conservative. Right, like what compound creates is not, you know, very dangerous. Right. And it's easy to administer. Eventually, you know, teams will figure out how to replace human judgment with, you know, code running on a blockchain. But that's a significantly more challenging problem yeah. to replicate and replace. You know, it makes sense why the very first, you know, protocols like compound are just taking the easiest, lowing, lowest hanging fruit yeah. problem. But we're, right. we're seeing that obviously to, today, like, right, you know, Max Levchin and Affirm just IPO'd today or, or was yesterday, I don't know what it was, it like doubled in price. It's an incredibly valuable company, but that's basically machine governed. It's AI. Uh, it's obviously, you know, deploying and computing AI on a blockchain is, is hard, but you can imagine, you know, through oracles and other means, like ways to, to you know, have like highly automated machine governed decision, risk decisioning, right? But that's still sit inside of an underwriting smart contract that is, you know, interacting with some form of, uh, you know, kind of verifiable, attested identity uh, that's interacting with a smart contract. Exactly. And so, you know, as you start to look at, you know, how do systems, you know, manage and take on credit risk, you know, Compound starts with like the lowest credit risk, you know, you're using, you know, a lot of liquid collateral to back something. The risk is extremely low. But as you start to move into, hey, this is, you know, an extension of credit based on someone's reputation or yeah. other data points or other parameters, yeah. it starts to increase risk. And really intelligent systems like a firm or other can manage those risks and be extremely good at it. But as you start to extend the amount of risk, that's where I think you need to start to extend, you know, oversight and regulation yeah. of these systems. Because it's very possible that you have a bad parameter, right. you know, and you extend money to, you know, a huge swath of people that can never repay. Yeah, yeah, totally. I guess a, a follow-on question to that is, um, 
you know, how do you think about, and it ties into regulation. And again, it's a, a, a theme I want to come back to, but how do you, how do you think about decentralized identity models interacting with, um, you know, kind of uh, smart contract protocols like, like compound? Do you, do you see that emerging? What do you think that looks like? So I think it's going to be slow to evolve um, because, you know, I think it's one of the, the harder problems in the space. You know, um, I do think, you know, eventually, you know, the market structure is going to evolve in general is going to be in which, you know, there's large, you know, um, products and institutions that are built on top of DeFi protocols and offer and are the on and off ramps to that. Mm -hmm. And those types of institutions are, you know, phenomenal at standard and aggregating information, right? In a good way and a bad way about their users. Um, yeah. So I can actually identify- well, And they're actually come, required by law to do so as well. <laughs> I mean, exactly. some of it, yeah, yeah. So I think as DeFi evolves, the sort of structure that will be in place is, you know, you'll have DeFi protocols, which themselves are relatively dumb. It's hard to get lots of data into them. It's hard yeah. to do complex, you know, decision-making. They're best equipped for very simple things. Mm -hmm. Things like- We'll start to have a whole market structure built on top of them, exchanges that integrate these protocols, um, you know, banks that integrate these protocols, institutions and wallets and prime brokers and hedge funds and all of these things on top of it that, you know, over time will be able to provide identity and yeah. either, you know, do it on behalf of their customers, you know, where they're willing to take on risk of their users or, you know, provide information to the rest of the network. But I think it's not going to sort of take place when we're living this DeFi structure where users interact with contracts directly. It's right. not ideal. Yeah. Yeah. So this, I mean, this, this is, uh, you know, uh, it's one of the places where the rubber meets the road in that, you know, obviously, uh, well, we saw news today, of course, that the, uh, you know, FinCEN has, uh, has extended the notice uh, and comment period uh, for some of their, their rules around, um, you know, institutions uh, and their users interacting with, um, you know, self-hosted wallets. One of the critical issues in that, which I commented on publicly, lots of other people did as well, which is that, you know, as stated, it would make it impossible for a bank or a, or a financial institution to enable its users or, or through its own software to enable its users to interact with, you know, DeFi protocols, because like what's, as I use as an example, like what's the name and physical address of compound protocol? There's no name and physical address. Uh, there's a contract on uh, on the Ethereum blockchain. Like, is that the address? <laughs> Put that in my CTR. Um, but but in any case, uh, but like, like clearly like this is becoming an area that like regulators are going to care about. And obviously like the OCC guidance that came out last week and sort of giving banks permission to, to use stable coins as, as a payment infrastructure, interact with public blockchains. Like we're just like a step away from regulated uh, financial intermediaries sort of embedding, um, you know, DeFi into their infrastructure and enabling entities, i.e. individuals or firms to interact with that. And so it does seem like between kind of the way that, you know, regulators are trying to think about like, how do you, how do you kind of deal with record keeping and identity? And then, you know, similarly, like how, how do, how do like, how does mainstream finance like plug into this infrastructure? We're like, we're kind of triangulating on this. And it seems like we, we have to, those issues are going to kind of, kind of come to the fore faster than we realize maybe. They, they will. And, you know, I, I personally think that there's a lot of properties of DeFi that make 
it extremely well suited for institutions and for regulators. There's a lot of virtues. So, you know, the first is that, you know, it's fair. The second is that it's transparent. The third is that there's less room for human error. These are all, you know, virtues that I think both the institutions and the regulators want and see. Like these are, it's better, you know, primitives than what currently exists. Right now, you know, most financial institutions keep their own records, right? right. When you're keeping your own records, right. that's where you can get into trouble of, you know, sending money to the wrong place or the wrong person right. or allowing someone to use your institution nefariously, right. right? Like every institution maintaining its own ledger and yeah. then interacting with other institutions, it's a structure that's ripe for disaster and intentional or inadvertent money yeah. laundering or abuse, which is why it has to be regulated so carefully, yeah. right? Versus an open ledger, like a blockchain, to conduct transactions and store value, it's like a huge blast of sunshine. Oh. And, and you won't necessarily have to regulate it in the exact same way. You won't need to regulate it in the exact same way because it's almost you know, gonna be a thousand times harder to use you know, a DeFi system, you know, to launder money or, you know, to use it nefariously um, just because, you know, you have a shared ledger where everybody sees all of the transactions and the state of the world. Yeah. You know, it's very hard to lie about. Yeah. Well, know. like you said too, like, you know, like an institution facing another institution through an intermediary, like, you know, what, what, what is counterparty risk is just like the fundamental inherent problem in, in the way that the, much of the financial system is organized. And so it's just fundamentally about that, yeah, increasing transparency, reducing counterparty risks. Like what institution doesn't want that? Uh, that wh wh who doesn't want to face a market where you're just systematically eliminating counterparty risk? Right. In the existing market structure, every single institution has its own books and records. Yeah. And of course they have to be inspected and audited and analyzed because sure. something can go wrong at any institution. And yeah. they, it does go wrong at many institutions constantly versus, you know, using financial infrastructure where there's one set of books and records yeah. that everybody can see transparently and clearly. It's an order of magnitude better. Yeah. And, and obviously zero knowledge proofs and privacy preserving technology will make it possible for people, for, for in, individuals and and corporations to be able to kind of transact and, and not have their books and records be visible to uh, to everyone, but still actually have it be, you know, provable on chain and still have an auditor, whoever it is, be able to kind of look at that in, in an automated way. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, the other thing just that came to mind is like, you know, uh, like there's no such thing as a drunk self-driving car. Um, and that's kind of like, you know, <laughs> you know, who's at the wheel? And if you have self-driving banks that have this this automation and transparency, you don't you don't have to worry about the human operator, which which is maybe a good segue into this this I think just enormous transformative shift that you made to comp the governance token uh, to really turning over quite literally the keys to uh, what what is the administration and operation and upgrading and 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 ultimately governance of risk management just you know kind of parameters, um, it's, it's just really tremendous. One of the themes that, that um, I've been exploring, we did last week with the Balaji as well, was 
you know, these new corporate forms that are coming into existence. And, you know, I, I really look at the work that you guys have been pioneering. There's many others too, but you, you guys have been pioneering, which is this is a new corporate form that exists entirely on the internet, entirely in software. Just talk a little bit about the inspiration for that and, and, and then kind of how, how it's going, how it's operating, and, uh, and maybe I have some follow-ups. Yeah, so it's a great question and thank you. So, you know, we chose to transition Compound from a system in which our team was able to upgrade the contracts as needed to one in which anyone with the buy-in of the broader community can upgrade the contracts as needed. Um, and this makes it so that, you know, one, our team can't mess it up accidentally or deliberately. I no longer worry about, you know, getting kidnapped because I have, you know, private keys. Um, and two, by increasing the amount of people that are able to upgrade the system and maintain the system or the parameters, it leads to more and better ideas and, you know, a larger throughput of, um, you know, um, intelligence and work able to maintain the yeah. system. You know, instead of one person with their hands on the wheel, now there's a lot of people with their hands on the wheel. Um, and this was a complex transformation. We we're one of the first projects to really go from, you know, one party has decision-making to yeah. everybody has decision-making. And, you know, I, I think it's the sort of arc that many projects in this space will have where, you know, when it's small and, you know, when it's not widely used and widely understood, there should probably be only one team working on something. Yeah. And as it starts to become widely used and you start to have a variety of, you know, businesses built on top of it depend on it and know how it works, it, it really doesn't, you know, function well to have one party still in control. When there's many stakeholders, yeah. you, know, you start to have a, you know, um, you, you need a higher standard of reliability and permanence that by removing a single stakeholder from control, I think you can give to the community. So at, at this point, you know, everyone who uses Compound, you know, can have confidence knowing that if they need or want to make a change to it, there's a process yeah. which the community can make a change to the protocol. You know, it still requires the buy-in and the support of the broad ecosystem, but it's much more of like federated decision-making. And I think that's a really powerful model because, you know, at this point, you know, we can step away and the protocol will continue to function yeah. um, in perpetuity. I think, you know, um, <laughs> there's just so many interesting analogies, you know, uh, like, you know, credit unions or community-owned banks or, you know, whatever. And I'm coming back to this self-driving bank concept for a minute, which is, you know, the co community ownership and governance is so powerful and it's, and it's truly global and, you know, it doesn't require some really hairy multinational corporate thing with all kinds of international jurisprudence. It's just software and participants that can participate in that tokenized corporate form. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's a pretty radical shift though, to go from like, there's a board of directors and a, and a single corporation that makes decisions to the community as a whole. And, um, this is, you know, one of the, I think, great laboratories of, of experimentation. Um, you know, what has it been like to be community governed for whatever it's now been? I think it's over six months. Yeah, so it's been quite an uh, exciting six months. So 
one of the things that we did before the six months uh, is we actually tested sort of like the mechanisms publicly with like a limited stakeholder group. So instead of there being one, you know, party, there was like 20 and now there's, you know, 20,000. But over the last, you know, six months, we've started to see uh, some really exciting things. I mean, community developers, just like folks who love compound saying, I have an idea to make it slightly more efficient or to lower the gas costs of interacting with it or to, you know, add a new feature, which will increase the safety of it. Um, and, you know, I think that like, it's opened up ideas that weren't possible just when one team was overseeing a protocol. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's a real, you know, virtual use case. The downside is that there's not one party in control. You know, there's not like one, you know, person leading yeah. it forward. It's, it's been awkward that, you know, everyone sort of like always constantly, you know, looks back to me and says, well, Robert, what do you think we should do? And I say, I'm like number six on the list of stakeholders, you yeah. know, I have less of a voice than most right. users in the community at this, this point. Sort of open source, uh, you know, has, has, you know, wide variety of, of, of modes of governance, uh, some formal, some informal standard setting, same kind of thing. And so you're, you're in that pool of experimentation, it feels like. We are. And like, you know, most, you know, organizational structure over the last couple hundred years has evolved to like a pyramid-like structure, right? Yeah where there's one key decision maker that drives, you know, organizations and systems forward. And, you know, in crypto, we're, you know, really saying, well, it's not a corporation, right? It's a financial market that's going to run forever. That probably doesn't need too many modifications to it. Yeah. What's the best way to continue to drive it? Um, and, you know, we really stepped back from the single decision maker approach and yeah. it's, you know, it's too early to say if it works or it doesn't work. Um, you know, our original team is now just one developer amongst many, and we're actually working on a separate project, which can hopefully connect back to Compound. But it's really been interesting to just see like how folks are stepping up to become involved. Yeah, it's amazing. The other piece to these sort of new corporate forms, and obviously Comp is 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 related to this, which is economic incentives, right? So if I think of traditional equity, right, it's got votes uh and it's got it's got dividends or whatever other uh other features it may have various coupons or whatever it is um and and sort of these you know decentralized community governed protocols uh th it actually interacts with the the underlying economics of the protocol itself which is really a breakthrough right um to be able to effectively enable that economic participation. Um, you know, how has that been going? How's it been going for comp, comp holders themselves? And, you know, you know, sort of this deployment of the fee structure into that, it'd, it'd be great to hear you talk a little bit about some of those things. Yeah, so to start off with, you know, one of the biggest experiments that we conducted and now it, you know, is starting to emerge as like a trend within DeFi and crypto, but it really wasn't, you know, all of six months ago is, you know, we've been distributing ownership and governance of the compound protocol to the users. Um, you know, it would be like if Nike, you know, gave a share of Nike, you know, stock to everyone who bought a pair of shoes um, and everybody was able to sort of like set the future direction of Nike. Yeah. Um, the reason why that isn't technologically possible is, you know, Nike doesn't have a way of officially transferring ownership yeah. to its customer base. But with a DeFi protocol like compound that's already built on a blockchain, by definition, all of the users of it have crypto wallets and they're interacting with, you know, a piece of software. And so it's very um, straightforward and 
technologically possible for the first time for the protocol to very directly sort of like distribute ownership of itself to its users. And it wasn't technologically possible up until, you know, very recently. Yeah. Um, so the things that are even possible for like an, a modern organization might evolve, right? Maybe Nike would have made every one of its shoe purchasers. Not too late. It's not too late, right? You know, I maybe mean, buying it on a blockchain, right? Yeah. But the, 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 go ahead, sorry. Yeah, it wasn't even technologically possible. So now it is. And so, you know, it's a very early experiment. We, you know, we're one of the first to try this. Um, and, you know, we're starting, you know, there's still a couple of years left of distributing this ownership and control to users. Um, but just like you can distribute the ownership directly to the users, the governance tokens can interact with the protocol in new and interesting ways. Yeah. You know, users can upgrade the protocol. They could change the economics of it. They could change the cash flows. I've actually been surprised, and this is actually one of the things I didn't anticipate. Since launching the comp distribution, there actually haven't been any proposals hmm. to send cash flows to the users in any way. And I, this actually surprised me because I actually assumed that the second that the users had, you know, governance, they'd say, the first thing we're going to do is pay ourselves. And like that actually hasn't happened. And I'm actually delighted by that. Um, but I had assumed that the very first thing that people would say is we're going to pay ourselves from the protocol. Yeah. Fascinating. Really, really fascinating. Um, so a, a couple of things that this kind of connected to that I wanted to talk about too was, um, you know, the, the Nike example is an interesting one. Um, you know, uh, we, we own and operate Seed Invest, which is an equity crowdfunding platform, lets people directly sell equity um, to individuals on the, on the internet. And, um, you know, the, the, the rules for that are really expanding. And, and, you know, we had the SEC at the end of the year, you know, finally issue some clarity and guidance around how broker dealers can, you know, clear custody, settle digital assets. So you kind of are seeing this opening where the sort of between kind of crowdfunding rules and SEC clarity on digital assets where, uh, you know, effectively like tokenized assets. And when we think of financial assets, I'm talking about equity in a corporation or, um, or a debt instrument or physical property or other things. Um, really, there's an opening for those things to, to happen now. How do you, um, you know, what role do you see for, you know, tokenized real world assets? Like if someone had a, a, a valid form of tokenized equity in a Nike or whatever, like, do you see compound, you know, um, interacting with liquid markets in, in equity tokens, in uh, physical asset tokens, in, in other things? Yeah, the, the answer is, you know, I think, obviously, eventually, there's going to be lots of digital assets that represent more and more often real world things, yeah. you know, they represent stock in a business, or they represent a bond, or they represent currency, or they represent yeah. a house. There's this they, yeah, currency thing called USDC, I heard about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's great. I love USDC. Um, but I think there's gonna be more and more assets like this administered on blockchains. And blockchains are a better place to administer any asset versus just in a database or yep. using paper, right? Um, it's has tremendous advantages for transparency and settlement and all these great things. So every asset will wind up on a blockchain. Yeah. Whether or not all of those assets interact with something like Compound is, you know, a broad question and it's hard to understand. But will they interact with DeFi? Absolutely, right? In general, 
you know, compound specifically relies on like very large liquid fungible assets where, you know, an early stage company stock probably isn't that, right? Um, but, you know, the dollar tokenized is or the yen yeah. tokenized is. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like you look at like liquidity pools and AMMs in, 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 in various decentralized markets. And I mean, markets exist for highly illiquid tokens. <laughs> I mean, and in some ways, like there, there's ways to parameterize the, the, those markets to deal with the fact that, you know, these are highly illiquid and you get someone who can stand in there and say, no, I'm actually going to, I'm going to stand in these trades to provide whatever that baseline of liquidity is. And I've, I've always been interested in this idea that, you know, DeFi and in, in particular DeFi and blockchains will enable long tail capital markets, right? We have long tail advertising, we have long tail content, long tail everything, right? Um, but long tail capital markets where actually a illiquid quote unquote uh, private company stock or uh, uh, you know, a debt obligation of a farmer in a market somewhere in the world, all these things could actually have the ability to participate in markets like these. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, the quantity and type and characteristics of different, you know, DeFi products that emerge will start to cater to that long tail because it's all possible. You know, when you yeah. replace, you know, um, these systems with, you know, programmable ones in which it's really the creativity of developers, yeah. the ingenuity of them to create new financial services and products or the barrier, like anything is possible. So I think eventually there will be, you know, assets like, you know, seed invest companies tokenized living on a blockchain that are able to interact with all new financial systems. Yeah, yeah. So it, it sort of ties into another question I wanted to get your thoughts about, which was, you know, this is inherently global. Uh, anyone connected to the internet can, can participate. Um, that's causing a lot of heartburn <laughs> for, for, for national governments uh, who are like, well, wait a minute. Um, you know, we, we, we look over some of these things. Um, is this, you know, is this going to be a market? And, and I don't just mean about compound, but I think about this more broadly. Is this going to be a market where like, it's like 10 X better and society just says, we want this, we want this. And so like governments, you guys need to adapt versus technology. You need to adapt to governments. Like, where do you think that, does that happen? Is there, is this like, I, I mean, I, I hesitate to use these examples, but like Uber and Airbnb or DD or Tencent, or, you know, these, these companies that make these 10 X better products. And then society is just like, that's what I want. And the government needs to adapt or wh what do you see happening? Well, I think we're already seeing where, you know, you're starting to see, you know, massive volume and massive interest in open financial products and services. And they truly are in some ways just categorically 10x better than existing financial market analogs, right? Um, there's, and that comes with dangers and risks, right? Like, you know, is a self-driving bank a good thing Yes. Is it dangerous? Of course. Is it, is the very first one even more dangerous? Yeah, absolutely. Right. But over time, would we rather have, you know, extremely advanced autonomous financial markets yeah. that are open to everybody that are transparent, that are cheap, that are fast, that are you know, hundred percent right. gross margin. Absolutely. So I think society will pull us towards there. And yeah. I think at the end of the day, the benefits of, you know, enabling, this technology will 
shine through. I think regulators will over time embrace yeah. this for the amount of innovation that it can unlock. Yeah. There's obviously risks and there's obviously, you know, dangers, right? At the end of the day, everybody wants to, you know, protect retail investors, which is a good thing. And everyone wants to prevent nefarious activity, right? right. And, you know, DeFi done correctly, you know, is a massive, massive net benefit for retail investors. Yeah. From, you know, from the cost of banking to the cost of investment to, you know, everything else, yeah. net benefit for retail. I always see that with stable coins, obviously, like, you know, our, our, our ultimate mission here is like ubiquitous value exchange at no cost on the internet. Right. And like, who doesn't want that? Any person, any business anywhere. Um, so we're certainly moving there. And they want it for good reason. Right. And it's like, it's extremely important. It's just so much better and yeah. easier than what they're used to. And so I think it's like, you know, a market that's a virtuous one for, you know, the public and it's not a great system for, you know, abuse. Like traditional financial markets are so much better, you know, um, for nefarious activity. You know, cash yeah. is nefarious right. activity. Yeah. Opacity and, and all that. Um, so I, I'm going to end with, uh, with, with, with uh, a sort of two-part question. The, the first is obviously like, you know, stable coins and USDC um, play a significant role in, in the DeFi ecosystem and certainly with Compound. And so we've enjoyed you know, the collaboration and seeing that, um, uh, you know, so just first, just like, you know, kind of high level comments on, on what you see in terms of you know, the role of stable coins in DeFi. And then I have a follow-up question. Yeah. Well, stable coins are, you know, one of the first real killer apps in DeFi, in my opinion. Um, you know, the reason being that, you know, DeFi, you know, it's two words combined, decentralized and finance, but the real word is finance, right? Like, you know, people like to conduct financial transactions in a currency they're familiar with and they understand, which is why stable coins have become sort of like the bedrock of decentralized finance. It's much easier to conduct, you know, a financing activity or a trade or anything when it comes with predictable value. Um, so stable coins are a killer use case there. Um, and I, I, I think it's sort of obvious why. Um, and I think they'll continue to be, you know, I think it's possible that what is a stable coin starts to evolve. You know, we're going to possibly see other currencies, you know, in crypto, we might see central bank issued currencies. There's a lot of different directions that this might evolve, but I think at the end of the day, people will continue to sort of like mentally, you know, rely on stable coins for finance. Yeah, we agree. <laughs> um, so last question, uh, I like to ask guests, uh, various predictions. So, um, so I'm going to ask you, so obviously, uh, you know, USDC grew from grew 800% last year. So, and it ended the year literally on December 31st around midnight at 4 billion USDC. It's already increased by 900 million in the first two weeks. Uh, so it's, it's growing, uh, you know, TVL, uh, you know, 800 million to 23 billion. Um, what do you think end of 2021? USDC in circulation and total value locked in DeFi. So I'm bad at these games. So whatever <laughs> I say, just discount it heavily. Um, you know, I would say we'll probably end 2021 at about 60 to $70 billion in DeFi. Um, you know, I, I, I think the rate of growth will decline a little bit, but the numbers will be staggering still. Yeah, that's big. Um, so, you know, I'll put my money at 60. And I think USDC... Will probably be at about 15 
15. All right. Consensus seems to be consolidating around 15 to 20. <laughs> you know, I could be way off, so it'll be fun. You know, <laughs> maybe awesome. I'm, you know, getting anchored there, but awesome. Robert, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you. We'll certainly have you again and look forward to the continued collaboration. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Jeremy. Cheers. Bye-bye. So exciting, uh, exciting times in stablecoin land, DeFi land, self-driving banks. Things are moving along very, very quickly uh, here. So really exciting uh, to see and looking forward to next week. Uh, until next time, stay well, stay safe, and stay informed. Thank you.